Uh, I want to welcome you, uh, if you're just now joining us online, to Bethany United Methodist Church, where we're leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, to grow in His image. We're glad you've chosen to worship with us this morning. And uh, if you want to reach out to us online with one of our hosts, if you're on Facebook or through the website, uh, we would love to hear from you this morning. So welcome. We're in the middle of this series. We're talking about the land between... Uh, and this is the, the journey of, of the people of Israel from when they left Egypt to when they arrived in the promised land. So it's, it's built around that journey that they made across the desert. And today we're going to talk about provision. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I heard this phrase when I was growing up a lot, God will provide. And my, my grandmother used to say this a lot. And, um, you know, considering that she was a woman that raised three daughters through the midst of the Depression, uh, there was a lot to that. But the interesting thing is, although she would say that phrase... Uh, what she oftentimes communicated was something a little different uh, in her actions. And it wasn't until years later when I was serving a church in the hill country, I ran across a German saying that goes like this, pray like no amount of work would help and work like no amount of prayer would help. It's kind of a you know, cover your bases kind of thing. Yeah, God will provide, but, right? And, and I'm wondering this morning, uh, if you think about it for a minute, you know, as we begin this, whether you're one of those people that really leans into God to provide or whether you're one of those people that says, okay, God, this is what I need, but you, you work at it like you don't really think God will provide. Let's pray. Almighty Father, we give you thanks for, for bringing us here on this morning, gathering us in worship in this space and online. And we ask on this gray morning that the light of your presence would shine into our hearts and minds and spirits and open us up to what you would share with us. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, uh, you know, I thought this is interesting. Here we are, the, the you know, time change Sunday, and we have this gray weather, which doesn't really make it any easier to get up an hour earlier than usual. And then it struck me that this is also, for a lot of people, this is the first Sunday of the week of spring break. And I thought, okay, so is, is God messing with us? You know, it's spring break, but you have to get up an hour earlier. Or is it a gift? It's spring break, and I'm going to give you an extra hour of sunshine in the evening. I, I guess it kind of depends on how you look at it. Um, but we're going to be talking about this idea of provision that God provides for us. And the past couple of weeks, we've read some stories that reminded us of some very direct kinds of ways in which God provided. You have the, the story of the people of Israel coming out of Egypt when they, they've been released uh, to leave the country. And they come through the Red Sea. God divides the sea, brings them through, and then closes the sea upon the Egyptian army and so rescues them. And as they come out into the desert, having seen all these amazing things that God has done in the land of Egypt and the amazing way he has led them out from the land of Egypt, they begin this complaining, this, this constant kind of complaining and murmuring. And so, you know, first it's about water. You know, well, here we are in the desert. We don't have anything to drink. You know, well, you just bring us out here to die for thirst. And, and so God provides them water. And, and then it's, it's food. Well, now we don't have anything to eat. We're just going to starve to death out here. So, so God provides them the manna. And, and, and then it's that the manna is the only thing they have, right? And it's like, well, you know, we're tired of eating manna. We want some meat. So God provides them the quail. And so there's this kind of process of the, of the people complaining and God responding directly, uh, if you will, to those kinds of, of needs and wants of theirs as they move through the desert. Uh, but I want you to, to, this morning, I want you to kind of pull that out a little bit and think of, of God's provision maybe in a little more complicated kind of way, uh, that it's not always this direct kind of answer exactly to what we want, but uh, sometimes it's a little different than that. Uh, there's an old saying, it goes, God does not always give us what we want, 
but God always provides us what we need. And there's a difference between asking for what we want and seeking what we need. So I'm going to go back in the scripture here a little bit um, and start you know, going way back to, to when God calls Moses and he reminds Moses, uh, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. God, God hears us. I need to remind you all the time, God hears us. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, uh, and probably some other ites. But anyway, so he, he brings them up out of that and, and does this you know, mighty act where he hears their suffering. He hears the cry, and his heart goes out to him. He's concerned for them. He has compassion upon them. And then he's come down to rescue them. But the next part of that scripture, you know, if you, if you keep reading that story, the next part is, and you, Moses, you're the one I'm going to use to do this. Now, that's interesting. Here, right at the beginning of this whole story of, of, of the Exodus, God responds to the people of Israel, but his response is going to be mediated through the instrument of Moses and Aaron. God's going to provide for them, but it's kind of going to be a circuitous path of his provision. And, and sometimes we forget that when God provides, it's not always this direct thing, but sometimes it takes different kinds of shapes and forms. Uh, when I went down to uh, Corpus many years ago to serve the church down there, uh, one of the first pastoral calls I made was to uh, a family in the church, and the husband was in uh, fairly developed stages of Alzheimer's. Now, I, want, I need to really preface this and remind you, this is 30-something years ago. Uh, this is before we had all the medications we have now, before we had the knowledge we have now, before we had the support kind of systems in place that we have now. So um, the man had been diagnosed in his mid-40s. He's now in his mid-50s. And his wife was trying to take care of him in their home. And so she had him in their home. And, and as the disease advanced, he became increasingly challenging to care for. Uh, and had developed what sometimes is called sundowner's syndrome, uh, where when it became dark, he would become very agitated. So, so I went to visit because members of the church were concerned about her and were saying, we're really worried. She, she looks really tired, and we're concerned about how she's holding up, and, and, and she won't let us help her. Uh, and so I, I went to the home and uh, came in and sat down to visit. And the husband at this point really was not responsive to me in any real way. I mean, he was kind of walking around the house, but he wasn't really registering that I was there. So my visit was mainly with uh, the woman whose name was Zoe. And so I was talking to her and, and about what was going on, and I could not help but notice that you know, the doors all had extra locks on them. And she explained that those were to make sure he didn't get out of the house at night. And there were locks on kitchen cabinets because she had put all the sharp instruments into certain cabinets and locked them so that he would not hurt himself with those at night. And she explained that she had just now started having to go out at night and shut the circuit breakers off to the oven because he was playing with it and she didn't want him to start a fire or to hurt himself. And, and, and I'm looking at her and, and just her appearance is bone weary. And I'm, I'm saying, you know, Zoe, why don't you, why don't you let some of us help you with this? Uh, we've got people who would be willing to come over and stay with him for a while and, and let you have a break or come over and be here. And she's going, no, no, you know, he's my husband. And I said I would take care of him, you know, in sickness and in health, and, and I'm going to do that. I said, Zoe, you know, you're, you're just wearing yourself out. Uh, and, and, you know, I can see that you're tired. I said, let some of us help you with this. And she goes, no, I've, I've got this. I'm okay. 
So about six months later, then I went to visit Zoe in the hospital from exhaustion. And, and, and when she came into the hospital, her doctor, who was one of those uh, uh, wise uh, family doctors uh, that we used to, all of us used to know really well, now we have much more specialized kind of care, but he was kind of an all-purpose uh, doctor. Uh, he had made the decision that while she was in the hospital, uh, her husband Kenneth would go into a facility, a residential facility uh, in Corpus, that just happened to be the only one in town that had done any training for how to care for somebody with Alzheimer's. Because remember, this is all new. And so she moved him over there. And I, and I went to see Zoe, and she was just terribly upset because she couldn't care for him. She had, she'd failed. She tried to do it all herself, and she couldn't do it, and she had failed, and she was kind of beating herself up about it, and she was upset and sad. And, and, and I, I, I said, Zoe, I, you know, you really, you, you've done everything you can do. You can only go so long. I mean, you can only do so much. You, you need to let some of us help you with this. Uh, you, you need to release some of this. And, and she was going, no. And, and her doctor came in and, and was talking to her. And he said, now, Zoe, you want to care for him through the rest of his life, don't you? And she says, yes, I do. And he says, if you keep doing what you're doing now, you're not going to live that long. So he and I kind of double teamed her and convinced her to leave Kenneth in this facility where he was at. She recovered. She went back home. I would go by to visit Kenneth. Now, now, in his earlier age, in his younger years, Kenneth liked to sing. He used to sing in the church choir and sang some solos in front of the church and actually had a very nice voice. Uh, and as he moved into the Alzheimer's, uh, you know, he, he still enjoyed singing. And, and at this point, he was getting to where he couldn't put sentences together very well. But as his verbal ability to put sentences together uh, became increasingly uh, limited, uh, his singing became greater and he began to sing more and he would take you know a couple of lines from this song and a couple of lines from this song and a couple of lines. he'd string it all together so if you were trying to sing along with him it was pretty challenging but but he knew what he was doing and, and, and would sing through this and, and he always had had this dream of singing in front of an audience and and so I, I would go see him and he'd be in this facility and he'd be sitting there and he would have taken some object that he would use and hold as a microphone and he would be singing and he would have an audience People would come around and, and they'd sit and listen to him. And he was having the time of his life. Uh, all this time we, we'd been worried and, and she was so worried that he would be miserable. And actually he was having a great time. As, as we say sometimes, he was living the dream. Uh, he was singing concerts every day and had an audience every day who appreciated him and would applaud him. And, and he was always in a great mood. And I thought, well, this is not at all what I expected. It's not at all what she expected. This went on for several years, uh, and, and then eventually uh, the disease took his life, and Zoe and I got to be with him uh, and hold his hand in that moment. And, and in the aftermath of the funeral, uh, we were talking about that, and, and she said, you know, I, I prayed over and over that, that God would allow me to be here for him and to take care of him. She says, I just never dreamed it would work out in this way. She prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And God provided for him. Not in the way that she thought, but in a way that actually ended up being so much better for him and that he enjoyed so much more. It was so much better for him to be there than to be locked in the house. And it was so much better for her. You know, God provides for us sometimes in unusual ways and in unexpected ways. And when we are willing to let go of what we want, and allow God to provide what we need. Sometimes there is a tremendous joy in the middle of that. When we read through this Exodus story, 
as we read through these passages, uh, we hear some of that uh, coming out in different kinds of ways. Uh, so this passage comes from when Moses is, is acting as a judge for the people. Uh, the next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening, from sunup to sundown. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. Can you hear the wisdom in that? Moses, you're trying to do it all by yourself, and you can't handle this. You're going to wear yourself out. You're going to wear the people out waiting for you. And as it's true for most of us, when we get really tired and really stretched, our decision-making ability and our discernment begins to decline rapidly. You're not making good judgments anymore, Moses. What you're doing is not good. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way that they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, But have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. This will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times, the difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. I mean, Moses listened to the wisdom of his father-in-law and realized, I can't do this all alone. So he selected men of integrity to be judges with him and relied upon them to carry the load with him. That was how God was providing. Now remember, the, the people of Israel, they've come out of Egypt where um, you know, they've been in this place where the whole social system has been provided for them and imposed upon them. And now all of a sudden they're out in the wilderness, the, the desert, and, and they don't know how to govern themselves. They don't know how to be a community. Uh, they don't have any system for that put in place. And God is having to teach them as they go through this process. What does it mean to be a people? What does it mean to be a community? What does it mean to be followers of God? How do you live well with one another? They're having to learn all of this because there's no longer this authority imposed upon them from the Egyptians. So now God is instructing them. And part of that is, is this system that he puts in place of judgment, of, of judges across the people, so that these decisions can be made when there are disputes that can be settled without every single one of them coming to Moses. 
And, and if you think, when you think about that, well, yeah, but, you know, Moses was still, you know, he was still, you know, the one that was really close to God and, and, and would make the best decisions. There's another story that kind of goes alongside this in Numbers. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that's on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. I mean, sometimes we begin to think it's really just, it's all us, and we're really the only ones that can do this. And what the story reminds us is God, God takes his Spirit, and, and you know, instead of just being poured out on Moses, he begins to pour it out upon these other leaders. And empower them to be leaders with Moses. You know, we don't have to worry about God running out of Holy Spirit in the middle of this. You know, God's Holy Spirit is, is more than adequate for everyone. And it never is just us who can have God's Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit is poured out upon whoever will receive it. And you have this wonderful story where God provides for Moses, God provides for the people Israel with this system uh, kind of, of, of governance that he places that is guided by the Holy Spirit upon them as they're crossing the desert. You know, when I, uh, when I came up here in, uh, in 2001, all the churches I had served before that, when we would have communion services, I, I could always call everyone by name that came up to take communion. So every person in those churches that would come and receive communion, I could call them by name. When we got here and we had communion the first Sunday, I suddenly realized I wasn't going to be able to do that. Because my memory has apparently you know, a limit to it, right? And once I hit that, I really can't go any further. That's true for all of us. We all have limitations. We can only go so far. And once we hit that point, then, then part of God's provision is to bring people alongside of us who will carry the load that we can't carry, who will have the wisdom we don't have and the understanding that we lack. God provides for us in the people he places around us. And as we moved into this pandemic a year ago, thanks for reminding us, yeah, I mean, a year ago as we moved into this and we were thinking about how do we go online and how do we do things and all that, one of the things we were blessed with, and you may not have realized in this congregation, but we, we had a number of, of staff members who were much more technically savvy than I am, and they knew how to do things on Facebook and YouTube and how to film things and put things out there and, and communicate in ways that... I had not been trained to do or, or understood well. And it was a tremendous blessing for all the things that they, they brought to the table in that time that allowed us to continue to communicate and even today to communicate with those of you at home because they understood how all of this worked. If it had just been me, we would have been in trouble. <laughs> but God provided. God provided for us as a community of faith. And bringing these people alongside of us who had those abilities and that kind of knowledge and, and, and could do that. And, and, and thought of creative kind of ways to do things like worshiping in the parking lot. Things that we never thought of. How do we do communion? How do we, how do, we do this? I mean, God provided for us, brought, brought people alongside of us that were able to carry that load. 
God provides for us sometimes in the, in the people he puts around us and, and, and the circuitous kinds of ways. And, and, and sometimes it's not what we expect. Now, all of this, this idea of provision of God gets reinforced when Jesus is speaking and Jesus is teaching in the sermon, Matthew's Gospel. And, and so he's, he's telling them not to worry about things, but with some caveats. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. And I think that alone, if you just have that, that's a pretty radical statement for a lot of us. Because uh, if you actually take the average American and you start looking at their expenditures for the month... You know, their, their biggest expenditure more than likely is their mortgage for their house. And the next biggest expenditure will be whatever they're paying for their car. And the next biggest expenditure might be health costs. And fourth on the list will be eating out. It's a priority, isn't it? Have you ever come to, to evening or come out at you know, a certain point of day and you're sitting with your family and you're going, let's go out to eat tonight. Yeah, okay, well, where do you want to go? Well, I don't know. Where do you want to go? Well, I don't know. Where do you want to go? You had that conversation, anybody? You had with your, your and, and and do you know there's an app now that you can download on your phone and you put all your favorite restaurants in it and it's got like a roulette wheel and you spin it and it rounds and it and it tells you okay this is where you're going to eat tonight. How bad is that that we have to have an app on our phone to help us to decide which one of the many restaurants we're going to go to and eat? Yeah, yeah, yeah I need that. Yes. <laughs> We tried that, and, and you know, I, I, I tried doing that, and I found that it, we didn't really help that much. Because then you spend, you go, no, I don't really want to go there. Uh, so it wasn't that helpful. But, but, you know, I mean, how bad is it that we, we're at that place? And so Jesus, this is, this is pretty radical. You know, I, don't worry about what's your life. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And, and interestingly, not only can you not add an hour, your worrying may subtract hours or days from your life. And why do you worry about clothes? That's one of my favorites. Why do you worry about clothes? You know, because that's, anyway, it's one of my personal struggles. You know, fashion is not my thing. So why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even so, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, now I want to be really clear. This is not a, you know, name it and claim it kind of thing. This is not, you know, the, the wealth gospel and all those kinds of things. But what Jesus is saying is don't worry about these. You, know, you seek God first. Seek God first. Direct yourself toward his kingdom and his righteousness. And if you do that, if you do that, the things that you need, God will provide. Not necessarily the things you want, but the things that you need, God will provide. And your needs will be shaped by you seeking the kingdom of God and in alignment with the kingdom of God. That's why that has to be first. 
When we direct ourselves at God, when we direct our lives at God, when we direct our energies toward God, and that's what we are seeking, the rest of it kind of falls into place. And God provides for it. I've talked about working with our, our ministry in El Salvador that we work with for a long time. And, and that uh, the way that harvesting in Spanish got started was that Don and Roseanne Benner uh, had a conviction laid on their hearts that they needed to help provide uh, literature to uh, the folks in El Salvador. There, there wasn't a lot printed in Spanish, and it wasn't distributed well in the country. And so they, they created a bookstore and a distribution system so that they could provide literature, especially for churches uh, down there, to use in their Sunday schools and so forth and in their teaching. And, and that's how they got started. But, but after they got there, uh, they became aware of the problem of the children who had been orphaned during the 10-year Civil War. And, and that spurred them to start the orphanage. But then once they had the kids in the orphanage, then the kids needed a place to worship, so they started a church for them and for the community around them, and the kids needed a place for education, so they started a school where the kids would receive education. So there was this kind of a chain of events that occurred, and, and when I became involved with that, thanks to uh, being introduced to it through Thomas Johnson, who got introduced to it through the Wesley Foundation, which is kind of interesting since he's speaking tonight, and they're with us next week. Uh, but that's how I got connected with them. Uh, I was invited eventually to come onto the board of the organization and, and became involved with them and, and, you know, looking at how things were going and how we were funding uh, the different ministries and, and became real involved in the, the, the kind of operation of the organization. And, and in doing that, you know, you, you begin to see how one thing leads to another and different people are involved in different pieces of it. And this amazing ministry, which just has kind of grown down there. Uh, and about the second or third time I made a trip down there for one of the board meetings, Don took me over and he showed me this piece of land, which kind of was serving as the community dump. I mean, people were throwing trash and stuff on it. And he says, you know, he says... God has just laid on my heart that we need to build a clinic right here. And I'm looking at this thinking, really? I mean, well, we're, we're kind of struggling with funds for what we already have. And this is going to take some work, you know? And, and, and I told Don, I said, Don, I said, you know, we don't have any experience in this. I've never built a clinic. I've never, I mean, we've never worked with this. We, we don't know what we're doing. We don't know what we're getting into. Uh, you know, this is, this is way out of our, you know, comfort area and our, and our knowledge area. And, and Don said what he said all the time when we would raise questions. He said, well, we'll pray about it. And so, so we began this process of, of praying. And, and every time we run into an obstacle, Don would say, we'll pray about it. So first we started praying about it, and we had teams that came that cleared all the, the trash off of the property. Uh, somebody then wrote us a check for the exact amount we needed to purchase the property. Uh, people then began to send money in to fund for the construction of the building, and some of our work teams from here got to go down and do some of the hands-on work on building the building. Uh, and and it, just, it just would appear. And, and you need to hear, it wasn't like we were going out and soliciting uh, this from anybody. I mean, folks would, would call us up. Well, I heard you were doing this, and I'd like to support that. Uh, and so that happened. And, and then, you know, we started worrying about other kinds of things, and this organization up on the Canadian border reached out and contacted and said, you need some medical equipment? Well, well yeah, we do. Well, we've got 42 shipping containers we'd like to share with you, and so now all this medical equipment's coming. And then we had two medical schools that reached out to us and said, we, we would like to be part of sending people there to, to staff that and to be trained. And it just one thing after another fell into place. And, and in the middle of doing this and building uh, what eventually became the Shalom Family Medical Clinic, 
in, in the middle of that, we, we had to deal with licensing kinds of things in El Salvador. And to operate it, we need a director, a, a medical director for the clinic. So word went out that we were looking for someone to do that, and we talked to various people. We had dinner one night with a, a doctor whose wife is a pharmacist, and uh, his name is Dr. Solano, and, and we were talking with him, and um, I was immediately impressed with him uh, and with the sincerity of his faith and his compassion. But he shared with us that uh, in his practice, you know, he, he operated as a, a regular doctor during the day. Uh, he's really like an OBGYN kind of practice. But, but they had a side practice that was a free community clinic. And they had been so overwhelmed that they had been praying together with their church and members of the community for help. And he said, as soon as I saw that y'all were doing this, I knew that this was God's answer to our prayers. I thought, now, now wait a minute. So, so this community is praying and, and asking God to provide for you know, medical care for their community. And, and, and unbeknownst to us, we don't even know that's going on. All these other folks are contacting us to help with things and donate things and all. I thought, there, there is an amazing act of God's provision going on here. And we didn't even realize in, in the middle of it that we were responding. We were part of God's response to the prayers of this community. But God did provide. And thousands, literally thousands of people receive care at this clinic every month. I mean, sometimes we want to make provision into this kind of real simple thing. I'm going to pray for this and, and God's going to deliver it. Kind of like Amazon, you know, drops it off on the front porch, right? We want to make it real simple. But sometimes God's provision is, is much more complex than that and much more involved in that and much grander than what we expected. Much grander. We have to have a larger vision and realize that well, we don't always get what we want and God doesn't always provide the way we think. But if we're willing to lean into the kingdom and we're willing to lean into God, and align ourselves with the kingdom and with God's righteousness. God's provision is always amazingly more than what we ever expected. Let us pray. Almighty God, we confess to you that we, we talk about provision, and, and yet even as we say that, we're oftentimes working as hard as we can to make it happen because we, we're not really sure we trust that you're going to provide. And so we ask that you, you give us hearts of peace and calmness and assurance, that you help us to lean into you with all that we are, to seek you beyond everything else, and to trust that as long as we are directed toward your kingdom and your righteousness with everything in our lives, that you will provide what we need. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.